Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Uncharted Era with CK61938. Hope you're all having a good week so far. How was your Easter weekend last week? I hope you indulged in a lot of chocolates and didn't get too sick as well. <laughs> um, yeah, ho ho hopefully everybody's having a good week thus far. Um, I spent it... Tomorrow here in the UK, it's the 11th of April today, so tomorrow from the 12th of April, pubs, bars, restaurants, salons, gyms, they're all starting to reopen, so, you know, people have been booked, booking, you know, going to places to have drinks and food, at the moment you can only eat and drink outdoors, um, but yeah, places are apparently have been fully booked, I've seen pictures of places showing their setup, their outdoor setup and such. Um, my missus, for example, she's off to a Zumba class tomorrow evening. They'll be doing that outdoors as well. So great. It's great that stuff is starting to open and people are going to be back out. Um, and even shops, like I say, they, they're opening as well. So um, I'm going to do my best to avoid these places for however many months because it's going to be crowded and I don't do well in such crowded situations so um you know it flares up my anxiety and um i don't i don't want to be put into such a position like that so i will do my best to avoid as many people as possible which is kind of strange because i work bang smack in the center of newcastle city center <laughs> so um yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens from tomorrow onwards um so yeah, um, I mean, all I'm going to do is just I'm just going to go straight to work, and then go straight home afterwards. I'm not hanging around or anything. I'm not waiting around. But obviously, I know it's going to be pretty busy in town tomorrow. So um, yeah, and like I say, you know, let's hope people stick by the rules and we don't get another wave and we don't get put back into lockdown again because. Yeah, I think I think we're past it now. Um, you know, people do want to go back out there into the real world. They want to be able to do things. They want to be able to socialize and whatnot. Um, so yeah, and yeah, let's just hope everybody sticks to the rules. So please stick to the rules. Just that's all, that's all we're saying. Just just be mindful. Just be mindful. Anyway, <clears throat> stuff that we've been watching this week. Um, can we just quickly talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier? Because we watched this week's episode and wow this there was a lot going on and um yeah so much there was a lot of emotion there was action there was heart uh, there was tension and then there was there was um a shock a massive shock at the end of the episode um if you've watched it you'll know exactly what i'm talking about if you haven't watched it don't worry i'm not going to spoil it for you but um oh my goodness this show is doing well. It has proven to be a smash hit. Um, so yeah, just wow. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say. So <laughs> brilliant. Um, I've also watched the latest episode of Invincible. Again, oh my goodness, what the hell is going on? Um, great show as well. Um, yeah, like I say, not one to watch with your kids unless they're teenagers, like 16 or above, then great. Um, but anything under that, then no, no, not, do not watch it with your children. Um, this week's Flash episode was good as well, same as Supergirl. Um, 
I watched the third, and I didn't even realise that they were that they were doing this because I only just noticed on Netflix about a few weeks ago. But the third in the Skyline trilogy of films is just titled Skylines. Um, so it pretty much kicks off uh, five years after the se- the second film, which was called Beyond Skyline, that starred uh, Frank Grillo. So this third one, they take the fight to the, um, well, I say they take the fight, but they travel to the planet of where the aliens, you know, came from. Um, and I I honestly thought it wasn't too bad. It actually wasn't too bad. So, you know, there was stuff going on at the planet and, you know, the alien planet, stuff going on, on Earth and all sorts. And, um, you know, it links back to the first two films and everything. And this, that, and the other. You've got Rose, who is like the the hybrid human alien um uh who's supposed to be the, like the savior of the of the human race in that sense but she can communicate with the aliens as well um but yeah no overall i actually thought it was good now it's it's funny that we can get a trilogy of skyline films but warner brothers consider um you know justice league to be canon it's like this is why we can't have nice things so, but no like I say I, th- I do think that Skylines was 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 good it wasn't I wouldn't call it a massive hit massive great film or anything but if it's just something that you just want to just pop on for a couple of hours you know just to, just to watch something without having to think too much about it yeah that's what it's there for and like I say there's three of them because remember Skyline came out what was it about a decade ago or so and then Beyond Skylines came out about two maybe three years ago um maybe even longer than maybe four years ago or something like that but i think skylines was a bit earlier than that i think the first skyline film may have been about was it 2008 even um can't remember and i really can't be bothered to look it up either right now to be honest but i do remember that 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 was the i remember seeing that film for the first time and thinking oh it's kind of like independence day in some ways um but yeah, like I say, then the second one um, with Frank Grillo, that got released. And obviously they changed the characters from the first Skyline film because obviously it was that long ago. It had been, you know, such a long time since the first one had been done. So they changed the characters, uh, the people who played the characters, even the actors, um, to, to different people. And um, yeah, but the storyline was the same. It followed on. Um, but yeah, like I say, you know, if, you, if, you, if something you just want to pop on for a couple of hours, yeah go for it it's it's not too bad it's it's a it's an all right film it's an all right film it just rounds off the trilogy you know just rounds it off so uh yeah it's it's, it's all right um also bit a bit of sad news to report um uh first of all prince philip has passed away at the age of 99 and um when that was announced and that was on friday when that was announced um all our tv stations here in the uk um the bbc and ITV in particular suddenly decided to change their sched- the TV schedule. So any shows or anything that were scheduled to show on Friday evening were cancelled because um, everybody decided, okay, we're now going to talk about Prince Philip. And it was all about Prince Philip the whole, pretty much the whole day, the whole evening. You know, whatever channel you change to, it was all about Prince Philip here in the UK. And I just thought, okay, that's a bit much, but there you go um my sister and a few friends sort of made it made a made a lovely little quip saying you know that's one less racist in the world and if you think about it yes prince philip was racist it's that it's that simple there's no there's no beating about the bush there's no there's no hiding behind that fact he was racist and the media were painting him out to say that oh he was very he was very 
um, quirky with the way that he that he had w- with words and this and this. No, 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 no. He was racist. Simple as. That's it. He was he was racist. Anyway, I'm not going to go too much into it with him. Yes, I do. I do feel for the Queen. Yes, she has lost her husband. They've been together for seventy three years, and you know she's got she 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 needs to grieve and this that and the other. So I do feel for her, but he was a racist. So yeah, one less racist to deal with them in the world. Um, on the flip side, um, rapper Earl Simmons, otherwise known as DMX, he has also passed away. Um, he overdosed um i think it was a week or so ago and um you know people were hoping he was going to pull through at one point we thought he he was pulling through you know there was news coming through to say that he was in a more stable condition but it looks like it really got the better of him because he had a heart attack and it was the heart attack is what um is what what, what took his life um so he's 50 years old so he has passed away played a few of his tunes in his honor um but uh, yeah, and I've seen seen people posting videos of when they went to his concerts and stuff, um, you know, and the, he, he'll be sorely missed. So um, I first knew about DMX when um, I was at college at the time. So this was way back in the late 90s, about 97, 98. And um, that was when I first heard about him because I think he was in the, he was in a film with, with Aaliyah at the time. Was it Romeo Must Die? I think it was that one with um, was it with Jet Li as well? I think it was, because um, he, he him and Aaliyah they they got on pretty well. They they were quite close. Um, you know, some might say that they may have had a relationship as well, but uh, they they more like they were like brother and sister, I believe. Were Aaliyah and um, and and DMX, and I'm sure he's up there with her now. You know, she's welcoming welcoming him with open arms, and um, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that that's why how I first learned about about DMX, and then um, as years went on, you know, I knew I knew he was in films and such, and I think the the one film that I did watch him in was um, Exit Wounds with Steven Seagal. Um, he was pretty good in that, and that was that was an alright film. Anthony Anderson was in that, Eva Mendes as well was in that. I think that was her first role, her first outing in films as 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 a, as a movie star before she then went on to the Fast and Furious franchise after that um, as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he's he's passed away. He will be sorely missed, and people have been given their condolences and obituaries and all sorts as well. Um, you know, even Ray Fisher as well. He, he, he passed on his comments about about him as well. Um, so, yeah, so many people are feeling the effects of, uh, of DMX's passing, so uh, may he rest in peace. Um... Okay, so, excuse me, we've got a fair bit to cover and there's a lot of controversy that now has been released. Remember how I spoke about Warner Brothers and what they, what, <laughs> what happened last week um, with their um, article? Um, well, there's been some new new stuff has been released. Ray Fisher has finally opened up about what happened on the reshoots of Justice League with Joss Whedon and, and Warner Brothers. Um, there's been reactions from Re- Reggae Jean Page and Cameron Cuff. Um, Chris Terrio finally unleashes against Warner Brothers, and also uh, Fabian Wagner, who's like the uh, director of photography for Zack Snyder's Justice League, has also spoken out against, um, um, you know. 2017 version of Justice League um, as well um, so there's definitely some, let's say, let's say that there's, Warner Brothers are, in, are probably in some sort of damage control mode now but we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes but um, whether AT&T and Warner Media are actually doing something about them because let's just say they need to clean house, 
but I'll get to that very late uh, later on. Okay. Um, so first of all, let's do some uh, some some quick other news. So we'll start off with all the usual Netflix, Amazon related stuff. Um, so Star Trek. So earlier this week, I think it was the fifth of April, was um, First Contact Day. Um, if you've seen the film First Contact, fifth of April. Um, I can't remember what year it is. But fifth uh, of April signals the um, the first contact from from the movie Star Trek First Contact. Um, you know when Earth made its first warp drive, and it was noticed by the Vulcans, and they were the first sort of alien species to arrive on Earth. That was the first contact in that sense. So um, obviously that 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 gets that gets celebrated every year, and this year was quite something because it caused it allowed um paramount slash cbs to um reveal that they've got some new material in terms of star trek and the pick of the bunch was um they've got a new teaser for star trek picard season two um there's a character that everybody knows called q um you know the, the teaser shows a few bits and pieces here and then it just this card on the table sort of dissolves and then turns into letter Q um, so a lot of people got excited about that um, I think the new season for that that's coming out next year uh, Picard season 2 we've got a new trailer for Star Trek Discovery season 4 and it looks amazing and that's out later this year which I was quite surprised about I didn't realise that they had done quite a fair bit of filming for it but then when you consider that season 3 only just be finished back end of last year it got released in October wasn't it so it does make sense that it's already so quick that season four is coming out later on this year it does, it's just weird I mean we're in April already guys we are in April in 2021 how the hell is it April and how is it April 2021 as well that's just this year is just crazy it's crazy anyway um and it's been announced that a new Star Trek movie is going to be set to be released on June 9th 2023 so um, lots of plans in place. They've also said that there's a new season of Lower Decks. Uh, seasons two and three have been announced. Um, Strange New Worlds with Anson Mount. Um, I think that's that's been that's obviously already been. I don't know if it has finished filming, but um, I don't even think we got a trailer for that, or did we? I didn't, I didn't actually check, to be honest, if I'm going to be totally honest. But the only ones that picked out that stood out for me were both Discovery and Picard, because I've already watched those two those two shows already. Um, I will probably likely watch um, Strange New Worlds as well. Um, yeah, so a lot going on for um, for Star Trek, which is good. And then a lot of them, were, they were obviously, because Paramount, because CBS All Access is now Paramount Plus, so they'll all be on Paramount Plus in that sense. So Picard, Discovery. I'm hoping that we will still get Discovery on Netflix here in the UK because that was the agreement was that with CBS and Netflix was that we would get the Discovery episodes a day after they were shown on CBS All Access. So hopefully it'll be a similar setup whereby we will still get the episodes a day after it's on Paramount Plus in in the UK. So fingers crossed because I do love that show. I do love Discovery. It's amazing. Um, I mentioned Jupiter's Legacy. This is Mark Miller's um, graphic novel. Um, so they released a trailer this week. I've watched it and I have to admit I felt quite underwhelmed with it i just it just it there were hints of 
Invincible, <coughs> and also hints of sort of Justice League and also The Boys. Um, I'm not saying not not in terms of um, the nature of it, like the tone or anything. It was it wasn't it didn't have the tones of The Boys and Invincible. It was it was just the look, the look of it. You know, like like the look of The Boys in that sense is kind of like you've got these superheroes who've been you know they they went to some sort of planet they gain superpowers they've come back they're looking off they're saving earth and this that and the other been doing it for, for decades and such um but part of me just felt like hmm this looks a bit too underwhelming but i'm still gonna watch it because you know it is a superhero based comic book series so um or is it a movie i can't remember now <laughs> I think it is a movie. But I was just like, eh, okay, it's a bit underwhelming. Um, but I'm still going to watch it. I am still going to watch it. Um, you know, Josh Duhamel is in it, in from the Transformers franchise. But, um, yeah, I just felt I just felt a bit underwhelmed. But I'll, I'll give it a watch. I'll give it a watch, you know, as, as you do. Um, a TV spot for Ghostbusters Afterlife got released, showcasing Paul Rudd's character. Um, shopping and he comes across these mini puffed marshmallows that suddenly turn into baby marshmallow man <laughs> and there's a lot of them it's like gremlins but cuter basically um, that's the only way I can describe it so it's about a minute long but yeah I think it was more 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 than anything it was clearly more more fan service than anything but just to get let people know that hey this film, this is where this is this is this is what we're just letting you know what it's all about in that sense. You know, here's a little bit of fan service for you. Um, so that's due for release later on this year, sometime in the autumn. So that's that. That's that. Um, season five of The Crown is due to start filming in um, July, and we've got our main cast. So get ready. We have. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki, who from Tenet is going to be playing Princess Diana. Dominic West will be portraying Prince Charles. Imelda Staunton um, will be playing the Queen. And Leslie Manville, Man Manville, sorry, Leslie Manville will be playing Princess Margaret. So um, yeah, there we go. That's that's the main. The four, the four, the big four in that sense, if you want, if that's what you want to call it, um, yeah. So I think Elizabeth Debicki is going to do really well as Princess Diana. We all remember Emma Corrin playing Princess Diana from the ninth, from the eighties. So this will obviously be um, the nineties version of Diana that we'll be getting into. Um, no doubt they will play to her eventual death as well. Um, so yeah, because remember season four. Follow, was mainly following the relationship between Princess Diana and Charles, um, and then obviously then we're going to take her take them into the into the uh, into sort of like the early nineties as well. So um, yeah, so that that's that's good, and also um, don't forget season six is going to be its final season. So I think season six will obviously be um, likely to take the series up to the early two thousands. So. Um, we won't see the likes of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle meet and in that sense. But, yeah, I'm sure we'll probably see Kate in, in some capacity. But we may we may not see them. We may not see Kate. Uh, we may, we, we're definitely not going to see um, Meghan as well. But, um, yeah. 
so <laughs> we'll we'll see how it all pans out but I didn't watch the first three seasons of The Crown. Um, I felt like, you know, there wasn't nothing interesting for me in that. But it wasn't until, obviously, they brought in Princess Diana. I thought, well, no, now I'm going to watch it in season four. Season four made sense for me to watch it because I grew up with Diana, you know, hearing about Diana. We all, we, a lot of us grew up in, in that era with Diana and Charles and everything. Um, so, yeah, she was the people's princess. And then, obviously, she she, she passed away. Um so yeah it'll be interesting to see how seasons five and six well season five in particular take us through the 90s of uh of diana's life um and uh yeah see see how that how that is portrayed yeah heavily dramatized it is heavily dramatized we know that um but it's loosely based on the 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 royal family and their and their lives so we'll see we'll see how it goes um now speaking of netflix now they have gone and made a deal with Sony, and it's a massive deal. Now, someone actually tweeted that if you can't create your own streaming service, you may as well partner up with with, with, with one of the biggest ones out there. So Sony have basically done a deal. It's a multi-year exclusive first pay window licensing deal in the US, which will begin with the studio's film slate next year, including the likes of Morbius and Uncharted. So because because Sony have not done a direct-to-consumer ser streaming service, the likes of Disney, NBC, Viacom, CBS, you do um, NBC is Peacock, and then Viacom, CBS is Paramount Plus, and obviously you've got, let's say, Disney Plus, you've also got, obviously, HBO Max as well. So they decided instead, rather than try and do their own direct-to-consumer streaming service, no, we'll do a deal with Netflix. And basically what this means is, is that... Um, it basically says that the first so it will allow Netflix first pay window rights to Sony Pictures titles following their theatrical and home entertainment windows now typically the pay one window is usually 18 months so what it means here is that um, so theatrically released films the pact will begin with Sony's 2022 film slate which includes Morbius um, Uncharted and also the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse which is a brilliant film Oscar winning film as well so under the deal it basically says Netflix which has been spending billions to build out a library of its own in anticipation of the launch of studio streaming services will also have access to a new library of films the streamer will have the ability to license the rights to select titles from Sony's library which includes Columbia's nearly century-old catalogue. Now, Netflix and Sony already have a pre-existing output deal for Sony Pictures animation titles, which was first inked in 2014, which is why Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was on Netflix um, recently. I think it was either earlier this year or back end of last year. I think it was December was when Into the Spider-Verse was on, was on Netflix. Um, but yeah, you're going to see films like... Um, so it says here, with the pact, Netflix will have access to a new pipeline of first-run film offerings, including a, supply, a steady supplier of Marvel content, which has been out of reach for the streaming service since the launch of Disney+. Plus. So per the deal terms, this, these will include future installments of Spider-Man and Venom, including Let There Be Carnage, uh, although Let, Let There Be Carnage and No Way Home, which is the next, obviously the next films, um, which are both set to be released this year, they won't be included in the pact. So we're not going to see, like, let, let There Be Carnage and No Way Home. They won't be on the release schedule in that sense um, for, for Netflix. Maybe years down the line they might be. But the likes of the first Venom film, you're going to get... Obviously, you're going to get... Um, 
um, like I say, we're, go we're going to see Morbius, we're going to see Uncharted, so all of those sort of films will will arrive on there. So I think it's a good deal. I think Netflix and Sony doing that, it's clearly a good film um, for them to, to include that. So we'll see the likes of, um, you know, no doubt, I would imagine also Jumanji, Bad Boys for Life, Spider-Man Far From Home, because if you look on Disney+, Plus, none of the Spider-Man films are on there. So there's no Homecoming, there's no Far From Home, um, even Universal, there's no um, Incredible Hulk on the on the in, on Disney Plus. So um, yeah, you know, like I say, I think it's good that so that Netflix and Sony are doing this sort of partnership in that sense. So that's good for them, really good for them. Um, I completely forgot about this, but GI Joe Snake Eyes, um, yeah, that that's that film is it's it's not that it's just finished finished production or anything or that it's finished filming no no we've actually got a release date release date is july 23rd 2021 so yeah we're a couple of a few months away from um gi joe snake eyes the uh, the origin story of, of the character yeah <laughs> i know i completely forgot about it as well we've got a couple more movie delays uh top gun maverick maverick has now been moved to november 19 2021 because i think that was supposed to be released july of this year uh, it was supposed to come out July of last year, obviously. And Mission Impossible 7, I remember last week, I think it was last week or the week before, how I said that, um, that it wasn't going to film back-to-back -back with Mission Impossible 8 because Tom Cruise has got to do his um, promotion for Top Gun Maverick. Um, well, Mission Impossible 7 has now been pushed back to May, tw May 27, 2022. So there you go. Um, not not much to talk about in a Disney Marvel a, uh, section so I'll quickly just go through it as quickly as possible uh, first off we've got a new trailer for Loki that got released um, this week looks really good and um, Empire Movie Magazine have released their um, cover for um, the new Loki for Loki himself T Tom Hiddleston is on the front cover of of the um, of the magazine and I think that's due for release later this week uh, sorry later this month even um, towards the back end of the month I think um, so I think that may be Thursday the 29th of um, April they usually do release them toward the, to, towards the end of the month so um, that's when we'll be seeing that um, there's also a segment I saw Ray Fisher posted something on his Instagram that the top of the magazine does say Ray Fisher speaks out about Justice League as well so um, there'll be there'll be something in the article in the in the magazine regarding Ray Fisher's talking about Justice League which again I will get onto very shortly um, so yeah the new Loki trailer looks good um, some some interesting things in there as well we do just get to see a bit more of uh, Owen Wilson uh, Gugu Mbatha Raw and Wuni Wunmi Masaku as well in there as well so yeah it looks it looks good and that gets released on Disney Plus on June the 11th looking forward to that um, a new trailer for Cruella was also released um, confirming the release date which is May 28th also going to be on Disney Plus via Premiere Access as well um, and this is where we see both Emma Stone's character of Cruella facing off against Emma Thompson's character that she works for um, it reminded me of The Devil Wears Prada with um, Meryl Streep and uh, Anne Hathaway in that sense, so there's kind of, kind of like it's got got that vibe as well. And um, somebody was mentioned how uh, Emma Stone is playing Harley Quinn, 
because if you do see the film if you do see the trailer she does there's a point where she's wearing this red dress and her hair is one half is black and one half is white so yeah there is a, there is a bit of harley quinn-esque type feel about it as well so that's uh <laughs> yeah that that that's quite interesting um casting news for she hulk uh renee lise gold goldsberry she who was in um season two of altered carbon and also the um and also being on hamilton as well uh she so she's being cast in she hulk um phoebe waller bridge has been cast as a female lead in indiana jones 5 and john williams is going to return to score the movie as well and yes, Harrison Ford is playing Indiana Jones. I still don't understand how that's even possible. The guy's like 80-odd years old or something like, like that. And hey, he's not as nimble as he used to be. So let, let's hope, A, if this is the final outing for Indiana Jones, B, are we going to move on to a new Indiana Jones? Is Phoebe Waller-Bridge going to be the new Indiana Jones? I don't know. <laughs> you know, She is cast as a female lead, so... Oh, is she his daughter? Did he have a secret daughter he doesn't know about? Because <laughs> we all remember Kingdom of Crystal Skull. I know a lot of people don't like that film, but I didn't mind it. I quite enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, we all remember what happened there. But uh, this fifth one, well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Moving on to the whole DC, Warner Bros, HBO Max, all that sort of stuff now. Um, Justice Con 2021. That kicks off next weekend, 16th to the 18th of April. Um, so Wonder Meg and the Nerd Queens, Nana and Cole, have been busy collating, getting ready and everything possible. Um, so don't forget, this is a virtual charity convention for the fans, by the fans, dedicated to the work of Zack Snyder. As I say, it's organised by the Nerd Queens and Wonder Meg. Um, last year was a massive hit for them. In fact, it was the, it was the most popular virtual convention even outdoing um, san diego comic-con it, it got it got a lot of attention and a lot of um media attention in in some cases as well you know um so so the, the girls did well you know Zack snyder himself he he was he was he had a panel ray fisher had a panel the afsp inked to the people they had a panel as well so uh deborah snyder as well and you know and They've got their guests returning. They've got some new guests. Uh, two big names that have just been announced were um, Dave Bautista, who is going to be in Army of the Dead, and also Deathstroke himself, Joe Manganiello, is going to be a guest as well. So um, they've also got some merchandise, uh, the shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, badges, posters, um, you know, and some new new artwork as well. Um so it looks amazing. Somebody did a poster called Year of the Quarry, which shows um, the, the league putting up a stone, the, the stone quarry flag. It's a bit torn up, so it looks like the Justice League flag that's torn up, trying to put the flag up. Um, you can see Aquaman, Cyborg, and the Flash. Um, you got Zack with Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman help, help putting up the flag. And then there's three characters from Army of the Dead just standing in the in the background as well watching them put the flag up so it's pretty it's pretty awesome um you can follow follow them on twitter and i'll, I'll get get you their twitter their twitter account you can follow follow that um but yeah so that kicks off next saturday uh sorry next friday even um so i will do my best to try and watch watch the specific panels obviously i want to watch um 
Zach's panel. I may also watch Ray Fisher's panel because Ray's Ray's got a panel. Zach's obviously got a panel. Um, Deborah Snyder as well. Um, they've even got members of uh, the production team, production team from like the likes of Army of the Dead as well. Um, and as I say, Joe and Dave Bautista both will be having their panel as well. So um, yeah, it's great. I'm looking forward to it. Jake Jay Oliva as well. He was on last year. Um, he has worked with Zack Snyder as well. Um, looking forward to it. It should be brilliant, um, which is great. Like I say, it was big last year. It looks like it's going to be big because last year they did it in July, a month before DC Fandom. But this year they're doing it in April because obviously next month we'll also get um, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead will be featuring on Netflix, which will be good. Um, so, yeah, it's it's looking good. It's absolutely look, it's looking absolutely amazing. So uh, the girls are doing well. They are doing really, really well. So Joe Mang and Yellow's panel will be on April 17th. Um, I think Dave Bautista's is on, uh, is it on a Saturday? I can't remember. I'm just flicking through their their Twitter account now, just having a look. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a fair amount going on, to be fair, on their, on their Twitter account. Um, but yeah, they, they have a number of, big name guests appearing so um we're looking forward to it we should we will be looking forward to it um yeah here we are dave bautista his is on sunday april 18th uh, sunday april 18th yeah so um yeah brilliant brilliant looking forward to it so that's justice con 2021 um ava duvernay has shared a picture on twitter showcasing that naomi the cw series that she is help uh, creating has begun production um, so that's good um, <clears throat> Action Comics now Action Comics obviously is the, um, the first appearance of Superman um, from 1938 and um, there aren't that many copies left in the world and of those that are still around um, they are in an okayish condition um, we know that I'm sure you remember the story many years ago that um, Nicholas Nicholas Cage, he had a copy of Action Comics, and it was stolen from him. Um, and I think eventually he got it back, but I think he had to buy it back. I can't remember the, the full story of it. Um, and then there was also a story of a family who were renovating their house, and they, you know were tearing down a wall and found a copy of Action Comics in the wall. They put it up for auction and it went on auction for about, I think they got about 500 grand for it. So they used that money to obviously, you know, sort out their house and everything. But can you imagine finding a copy of the very first comic book featuring Superman in the wall of your house? And then you get about five hundred grand for it. Honestly, look, look, look it up. Look up the story. Just, just Google Action Comics found in someone's wall or something like that, and you will, you will read the story. It's, it's, it was, it was just interesting. It was just, just amazing that they that that happened for them. But anyway, um, then about two thousand fourteen, it went up for auction. Um, did one one copy of Action Comics went up for auction. And it was it went on sale for record world record three point two million dollars, so that was in two thousand and fourteen. Now, somebody has bought the copy for three point two five million, 
now it's now it's become again the record most most money most spent you know it's, it's the highest money that somebody has paid for 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 a comic book um 3.25 million it's just astounding so it went through via a private sale via comicconnect.com it's an online auction and consignment company um and that was earlier this week um yeah i just 3.25 million is just crazy it's just crazy i mean even not even detective comics 27 which was the first appearance of batman can reach that that level of amount of money um so yeah it's crazy 3.25 million dollars well 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 done that's all i'm going to say so <laughs> who knows how much it's going to be worth in another five years you know um because like I say, two th the one from 2014 went for 3.2 million. This one's gone for 3.25. Um, it's crazy. It really is crazy. So that's that just shows you just how popular and how relevant Superman actually is. So even in his 80-odd year history, he is still making records left, right and centre. So great. Fantastic. I wish I could buy a copy of Action Comics. <laughs> the original version i mean it was it went it sold for 10 cents back in 1938 and here it is going up for auction for a world record 3.25 million dollars crazy absolutely crazy madness <laughs> uh we've got some black adam news two cast members we've got james Crusati moya and bodhi sabongui um james Crusati moya's cast his role is actually being kept under wraps and um the um and Bodhi Sabongui, who's thirteen years old, um I believe his role is also being kept under wraps as well. So both of theirs are being kept secret. I wouldn't be surprised if Sabongui is playing a younger version of the Rock's character, aka Teth Adam. Um I don't know, maybe. Maybe, maybe, but but who who James Crusati Moya could be playing again? No idea, but um, yeah, maybe he's also playing a version of Teth Adam as well. Maybe they're both playing two versions. Maybe you know Sabangu is playing the 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 young the younger version, and then Crusati Moya could be playing a more early twenties version of 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 Teth Adam. I don't know. I'm just I'm just reaching here. Um, on top of that, we have now been it's now been confirmed that the film has begun filming. The Rock um, posted a picture on his Instagram account with the clapper uh, to confirm that move that the filming has now begun. So, ladies and gentlemen, Black Adam has now begun filming, and it is out July 29, twenty twenty two. Can't wait! Cannot wait! Looking forward to it. Um. There's an article that got released on DC Comics. Um, somebody wrote a blog, a chap by the name of Joshua Lapin Bertone, um, basically talking about um, that Martha moment from Batman v Superman. Um, it's a pretty good article. It's well thought provoked, and it tells you, you know, what the the meaning, the full meaning behind the whole Martha sequence, the whole reason why. Batman is screaming at Superman saying why did you say that name and how it took him back to when he saw his mother being shot the last word being said from his dad was Martha as he bled out as well you know um, 
all of that and I think this is what people need to understand about the Batman v Superman film why that particular scene is so significant why Zack brought that in to the film why everybody people who joke about it oh because their parents have got the same name suddenly they're best friends no it was a more of a psychological effect it was a more of getting Batman's humanity back because his war on crime was just shattered you know he he lost um robin and everything he started killing people you know he started branding criminals and that meant that they they were sentenced to death all that sort of stuff you know it's superman's death then eventually brought batman back you know remember remember the, the quote in the film at the beginning of the film they took me into the light a beautiful lie well superman was the one that brought superman batman to the light you know because in the dream the bats took him to the light and it was a beautiful eye whereas now that superman has died sacrificed himself to save the world that brought batman back into the light that made him change his mission statement you know he his first thing that he said to superman after he learned what was happening with martha he said look i'll make you a promise martha won't die tonight you know it even says it here that his choice of words is intentional instead of saying i'll save your mother he says martha won't die tonight which kind of feels like he's saying it as much for himself as he is for superman you know that batman he bruce could not save his parents he couldn't save his mother from from being shot from being killed um at a young age but this way this time he's actually going to save a martha you know it may not be his own martha but he will feel like he is redeeming himself in that sense and yeah this this article is brilliant and and i'll post the link so you can have a read of it it's it's titled the the martha of it all um and i think it's a brilliantly an articulated um article um really does go into the into the into the insights of that martha moment from 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 the film um there's an art, there's something here from Jason Kylar, the um, CEO of Warner Media. Basically, he's confirmed that WB's movies in 2022 will release in theaters first, and then move to HBO Max after they've finished their run in theaters. So they're not doing the hybrid that they're doing this year. So from next year, it's going to change. So it's going to be a case of they will debut in theaters first, and then eventually make their way to hbo max so like i say it's still not a bad you know decision in that sense it's still a good decision because what you're what you're saying is that they're not waiting a year or so maybe even six months before the movies move to the streaming services it's going to be a case of like maybe what um paramount plus are doing with their films you know like a quiet place 2 and um top gun maverick and all that sort of stuff where and mission impossible 7 where they will be in theatres and after the 45 day run of being in theatres they go straight to Paramount Plus um, I think here you're going to find that it's going to be a case of um, you know it's not good they're not going to do what they're doing this year whereby it's going to be a simultaneous release day and date on both theatres and HBO Max it's a case of oh you're going to have it in the theatres first so like for example the Batman which comes out in March 2022 um, it's going to um, be, you know, the Batman's going to be out in theatres first. So you'll have to go to the theatres to watch it. You won't be able to watch it at home on the same day that it's released in theatres. You'll have to go to the theatres to watch it. But if you're somebody that's not wanting to go to the theatres to watch it, if you want to wait, 
maybe it could be two, maybe three months, then it'll go onto um, onto HBO Max. Um, they don't actually specify. I don't think the article actually specifies when it's going to go onto um, onto the streaming service. You know, because it even says here that Kylo's announcement won't shock Hollywood. Cineworld, the company that owns the Regal Theatre chain in the US, has already announced that it has a deal to show Warner movies on its screens for 45 days before they move to streaming. Okay, so it looks like that's Regal, so Cineworld as well, they're doing that. Um, they've already got that, that deal with Warner's that they will show it in theatres for 45 days, then it will go to streaming. So, And it's reasonable to assume that Warner planned to do the same with other big theatre chains like AMC. So it looks like it's, again, a 45-day window in theatres, then they move to streaming, just like um, what... Um, Viacom, CBS are doing for, for Paramount Plus as well in that sense. So the landscape is changing. The landscape is changing um, in that sense because if you look at the success of what Godzilla vs. Kong has been doing, um, it's done pretty well. In America, it's made over $50 million, whereas internationally, it has just ballooned over $200 million, um, which is crazy. So, um, yeah, it's doing all right. And then obviously you've got... Disney doing their thing with Disney Plus, um, you know, whereby they will now release Black Widow is going to be on theatrical release as well as Disney Plus from July 9th. Obviously, you've got to pay extra for the premiere access for Black Widow. But again, you know, it's all the landscape is changing. That's that's what we're saying. The landscape is changing. So we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So that's that. Um, there's a so Zack Snyder's Justice League they're doing a charity auction um, Zack had tweeted about this uh, this week where there's a charity auction for um, AFSP and um, it's um, just scrolling down as quickly as possible <laughs> to get to the information for you yeah so it's, he tweeted on April 8th it said help us raise much needed funds for AFSP we are auctioning limited original signed and framed character portraits that I shot during Zack Snyder's Justice League um, additional photography so it was when he did the extra um, scenes for um, for Zack Snyder's Justice League um, you know the nightmare sequence and obviously the um, Martian Manhunter scene with uh, with uh, Ben Affleck and uh, Henry uh, Harry Lennox even um, but yeah he's got there's a website for it as well so there's various pictures that he took with uh, of Ray Fisher and um, Joe Manganiello, Jared Leto, Amber Heard as well and Bruce and Ben Affleck as well so again I'll pop, I'll pop the link on there if you want to have a look at that and you can own one of his pieces of, of, uh, of photography that he took during the uh, during the additional photography um, shoots so um, yeah so that all goes to benefit AFSP um, which is obviously is a charity close to his heart. Um, Batman The Long Halloween Part 1. Now, I mentioned this last week and I spoke about the cast. Well, a trailer has been released and it looks phenomenal. It looks great. It does look good. And uh, we've got a release date. June 22nd is when Part 1 is going to be released on Blu-ray and digital. Um, part 2 should be later in the year, I would imagine. And I think they should line it up for Halloween itself. And then next year... Is where we're going to get the full complete parts. You know, parts one and two will be released all together. I would imagine they'll do it in a similar, similar vein of what they did with the Death and Return of Superman, um, where we got them released 
on Blu-ray and digital, and then the cinemas um, did a whole did did, did a one night screening of both films together you know I, I remember I went to the cinema um in 2019 um to watch um the death and return of superman they did they did it in like you know two separate segments in that sense um so went to see obviously we saw the death of superman first and they had an interval and then finished off with the um the return of superman as well so I would hope that they will do the same thing for batman the long halloween in that sense as well so we'll see We'll see if that happens in 2022. Um, hopefully by then theatres will be at some full capacity. We don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes in terms of COVID. Um, right. So. Now. Justice League. <laughs> Ray Fisher. Joss Whedon. Warner Brothers. So. Ray Fisher finally. I know people have been asking and saying. You know, a lot of people saying. Oh. When's Ray Fisher actually going to tell us what really happened? you know, during the reshoots and everything and this, that and the other. Well, it has happened. Uh, a journalist by the name of Kim Masters, she released the article. She actually tweeted that Warners didn't want her to release this article. Well, she went ahead and did it anyway. So, Ray Fisher opens up about Justice League, Joss Whedon and Warners. And he quotes saying, I don't believe some of these people are fit for leadership. Now, the article itself is long. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, obviously. But there are some bits to pick out here. Um, some of the most standout ones. Um, I mean, the stuff of where Ray talks about um, Joss's apparent dismissal of his character that doesn't take notes from anybody, especially including Robert Downey Jr., this, that and the other. Um, the the whole booyah line as well. That one, oh goodness me! There's a segment here regarding that where um, Ray, you know, knew he had to say the word booyah because what was interesting is that he had he met up with John Berg, and um, John Berg. I mean, let me have a look here. There's, there is a section here. Here we go. Yes. So, so about the whole Booyah sequence. Goodness me. So anyway, he meets up with John Berg. And John basically says to him, this is one of the most expensive movies Warner's has ever made. What if the CEO of AT&T has a son or daughter? And that son or daughter wants Cyborg to say booyah in the movie. And we don't have a take of that. I could lose my job. And I'm like, what? what? Why would the CEO of AT&T's son or daughter be so concerned about Cyborg saying booyah? Which has never been a word that he has ever said in the comics. The word Booyah only came about from the animated show of Teen Titans and then subsequently Teen Titans Go. That's the only time the characters ever said it never emerged from the comics whatsoever. Anyway, it was just like, wow. But, he, but, but Ray Fisher, he shot the take. He says it here. 
It says it here, as he, as he arrived on set, he says, Whedon stretched out his arms and said a line from Hamlet in a mocking tone, Speak the speech, I pray you, as I pronounced it to you. Fisher replied, Joss, don't. I'm not in the mood. As he left the set after saying just that one phrase for the cameras, he says, Whedon called out, Nice work, Ray. And you just think to yourself, what a dick. You are such a dick, Joss. And John Berg as well. This is just for telling Ray that you could lose your job if he doesn't say the word booyah because the CEO of AT&T, if they have a son or daughter, wanting Cyborg to say the word booyah. What? No, absolutely despicable. Absolutely despicable. There's even stuff about Jeff Johnson here and his rep as just caused all manner of problems for um for jeff i mean jeff the, the representative says it here um so let's have a look there, there's a there's a segment here um talking about um you know once whedon got involved fisher fisher ray fisher says that john's told him that it was problematic that cyborg smiled only twice in the movie Fisher says he later learned from a witness who participated in the investigation that Johns and other top executives, including then-DC Films co-chairman John Berg and Warner Studio chief Toby Emmerich, had discussions in which they said that they could not have an angry black man at the centre of the film. Johns' rep responds that once the chairman of the studio mandated a brighter tone for the film, all further discussions centred on adding joy and hopefulness to all six superheroes. There are always conversations about avoiding any stereotype of race, gender or sexuality. It goes on to say that John's told Fisher he should play the character less like Frankenstein and more like the kind-hearted Quasimodo. Now, for those of you not familiar with Quasimodo, not, the, you know, the hunchback of Notre Dame. Fisher says that in order to demonstrate the look he wanted, John's dipped his shoulder in what struck Fisher as a servile posture now servile posture what what he means is basically you go back to the time of slaves black people this is how they were treated this was how they were they were told to be in a servile posture and, it, and i mean that is just disgusting that is absolutely disgusting that's that's racial discrimination beyond discrimination now to fisher there was a big difference between portraying a character who was born with a disability versus one who has been transformed by trauma and he felt cyborg was a kind of modern day frankenstein and he says it here i didn't play i didn't have any intention of playing him as a jovial cathedral cleaning individual and why should he that's not who cyborg is cyborg isn't quasimodo he is not the hunchback of Notre Dame. That's not who he is at all. In a way, you could say he is like a modern-day Frankenstein. You look if you watch Zack Snyder's Justice League, you'll see the point of where um, Silas is telling Ray, uh, Victor that the the, um, the the mother box is not safe in the in the flat. Um, you know, there's reports of people being taken away by monsters and. Victor's like, oh, you would know a thing or two about mon about monsters, considering you created one yourself. You know, so <laughs> just 
Yeah, and it even it goes on to say here that John's representative responds. Jeff gave a note using a fictional character as an example of a sympathetic man who is unhappy and has an inclination to hide from the world, but one whom the audience roots for because he has a courageous heart. Well, that was the reason why Chris Terrio and Zack Snyder got Ray involved in the writing process for the character. Because they are both white men, they don't know that much about black people. So what do they do? They get a black person to collaborate and make suggestions and give ideas and process about how a black person should be portrayed in a film. Who is Jeff Johns to tell a black person how a black person should react or how a black person should be portrayed? It's it's crazy because the next paragraph after that says Fisher told Johns it might be one thing for a non-black person to write a character for a comic but it was another for a black actor to portray that character on screen. And he says it here, it was like he was assuming how black people would respond rather than taking the advice from the only black person, as far as I know, with any kind of creative impact on the project. He then says, Fisher, Fisher says Johns did not yield. That was the last creative conversation about anything that Jeff Johns and I had. I knew I was on my own, Fisher says. Johns' rep denies that he ever dismisses, missed, dismissed any comments. And in that Fisher knew Johns, and this is where it gets interesting, whose spokesperson requested that he be identified as Lebanese American. Jeff Johns identifying as Lebanese American? Okay, what the fuck? Anyway, had evolved traditionally all white DC properties like Shazam, Just the Society of America and others into diverse groups of heroes in his extensive work as a comic book author. Now, we're not denying that Jeff has done, you know, for diversity in comic books for the characters and such things. We know that he has done that. I do enjoy his work. But that's comics. This is movie. This is different. Different mediums. And you're, you are basically telling a black actor that you know more about how black people should be portrayed because you've written them in comics. And I'm just like, that is just, no. There's even a point here where they try to, um, try to again make out that Jeff Johns isn't racist because it does say that he was married to a black woman for a decade. He is now married to an Asian woman and has a mixed race child. That's the same thing as what Anne Sarnoff did with Walter Hamada in her hit, hit, hit piece, basically using Jeff Johns' ex-wife, who is black, and his current wife, who's Asian, and his child, who's mixed race, as a shield to say, look at me, I am not racist. Okay, but then you go further into the, the article and we find out stuff about Krypton, the show Krypton. We find out that Jeff did not want, there was even, right, here's where it gets interesting. Okay, let, let me, I'll, I'll read to you as much of it as I can. 
After Justice League, Fisher went on to play Mahershala Ali's son in the third season of True Detective, which he calls a great experience. But in the coming months, he would hear fresh reports about what had gone on behind the scenes on Justice League, including the angry black man conversation and other allegations involving Johns. Two individuals who worked on Sci-Fi's Krypton TV series talked to Fisher about events that had taken place on the series. Here's where it gets interesting, people. Multiple sources tell THR that the, show, that the show's creators were passionate about doing some non-traditional casting and that Roger Jean Page, the, star break, the breakout star of Bridgerton, had auditioned for the role of Superman's grandfather. Roger Jean Page, the, the, the Duke himself, Simon Bassett, from Bridgerton, season one auditioned for the role of Superman's grandfather, Seg L. But Johns, who was overseeing the project, said Superman could not have a black grandfather. The creators also wanted to make one superhero character, Adam Strange, gay or bisexual, but sources say Johns vetoed the idea. Yet, it's quote here says, Jeff John celebrates and supports LGBTQ characters, including Batwoman, who in 2006 was reintroduced as LGBTQ, in a comic book series co-written by Johns, says Johns Rep, in an email. Johns also pitched Warner's on developing a television show around the first LGBTQ lead DC superhero television series, he adds, that would be the Batwoman TV show. As for the role of Superman's grandfather... The rep says Johns believed fans expected the character to look like a young Henry Cavill. Okay. So you don't cast Reggae Jean Page as Superman's grandfather because you say that fans expected the character to look like a young Henry Cavill. So why then did you not have a problem with General Zod and the Zod family? all being black why did you not go against to say well hang on that therefore we can't have general zod and his ascendants um his ancestors be black because in man of steel michael shannon zod is white why is it you are happy for the villains to be black but not the not not the heroes that you wanted superman's grandfather to look like a young henry cavill it, the next paragraph after that says several sources who spoke to Fisher around this time were willing to talk to a Warner's investigator. Among them was writer Nadria Tucker. She who's done she's worked on Krypton and she's also um, credited as the producer for Superman and Lois. She wrote she did some scripting for Superman and Lois and got subsequently got kicked off the project because she was making she wanted to add in some more diversity for for the show, but again they threw her off because of it anyway she tweeted on february 24th i haven't spoken to jeff johns since the date on krypton when he tried to tell me what is and is not a black thing tucker tells thr that johns objected when a black female character's hairstyle was changed in scenes that took place on different days so tucker quotes she says i said black women we tend to change our hair frequently it's not weird it's a black thing she says and Jeff says, no, it's not. Again, how? How? Why would Jeff say something like that? I'll tell you why. It says it here. John's spokesperson says, 
What were standard continuity notes for a scene are being spun in a way that are not only personally offensive to John, to, to Jeff, but to the people that know who he, he who he is, know the work he's done, and know the life he lives. As Jeff has personally seen firsthand the painful effects of racial stereotypes, concerning hair and other cultural stereotypes, having been married to a black woman who he was with for a decade, and his second wife who's Asian American, as well as his son who's mixed race. Okay. Fair enough. You say all of that. But if that's the case, if Johns is fully aware about stuff like that, why is he being quoted as being telling Nadra Tucker that, you know, black women changing their hair frequently is not a weird, that it's, that it, that it's a black thing, and he's saying that it's not. Now, if you're just basing that on the fact that maybe his wife, his ex-wife at the time, was not changing her hairstyle on a daily basis, well, that's, that's her decision. Or did Jeff maybe say to her, you don't need to change your hairstyle every day. You look fine as you are, this, that, and the blah, 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 whatever. We don't know. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes between what went on between Jeff and his wife, his ex-wife and his current wife. I don't know. But you cannot tell me that just because you've been married to a black wife and you're married to an Asian American and you've got a mixed race son, that you know how black people behave and how they react and how they should be portrayed on screen. I'm just absolutely dumbfounded. Now, like I said, I'm not going to go too much into this article, but if you want to know more, Ray Smith, a.k.a. The Flight Cast, he has done another podcast talking specifically about this article. Listen to it, because he articulates it better than I can. I, I feel like he's my he's my voice. I think of these things, but I don't know how to put them into words. Rafe Smith does know how to put them into words. He goes in-depth. He goes all hell for leather. He has a massive rant about it. Watch it. I mean, sorry, listen to it. Now, on the back of this article, there has been a mountain of tweets that have emerged from it. Most notably, Reggae Jean Page himself. He said, hearing about these conversations hurts no less now than it did back then. The clarifications almost hurt more, to be honest. Still doing my thing, we still we do the work, we still fly. Ray Fisher quote tweets, I feel for you, Reggae Jean. If you ever need, if, if you ever need, I'm around. Keep flying. Uh, Ray Fisher then spoke about, he says that he's wrapped on Women of Movement, Women of the Movement, it's the sh anthology show that he's doing on for ABC, which is owned by Disney, um, he says, I wrapped on Women of the Movement today, the experience embodied everything that inspired me to become an actor, to be in service of a great story with great people who I hope to see again someday soon, to the crew and cast, my heart is full because of you, love y'all. Um, who else did we have? Cameron Cuff. Sag L, a.k.a. Superman's grandfather, on the two seasons of Krypton. He also quote tweets Reggae Jean Page, saying, Reggae is an inspiration to me and thousands of other artists. No one should feel okay benefiting from individuals or institutions that tweet their fellow humans so unjustly. Change must happen. I am... It's just... Just unbelievable. Leonard Roberts, who was on Heroes... Um, and he also featured on uh, on Smallville. Um, he quote tweets the the article from Hollywood Reporter saying, "The Snyder Cut gave us a cyborg born of a change engine." In Ray Fisher, we have a man who is one. Real heroes do the hard thing. Real heroes are not silent. 
Real heroes are not complicit. Real heroes stand up. Hashtag I stand with Ray Fisher. Proudly. A over E. Hashtag stronger together. We even got uh, Charisma Carpenter as well. Um, she also quote tweeted. Um, I'm actually looking for it because I'm sure she did. Um, if she did, I can't see it, but um, I'm sure she did. I'm sure Charisma Carpenter did actually quote tweet uh, Ray Fisher at one point um, about about the article as well. Um, but basically, yeah, a lot of people have come out in support of Ray and of this um, article um, as well. And just cannot believe that something like this happened behind the scenes and on the sets of the reshoots of Justice League. It's just crazy. But like I say, listen to um, Ray Smith's um, article. Oh, here he is. Yes. So shortly after the, the article got released, so here, here's some more tweets from uh, from Ray Fisher um, saying that they didn't want an angry black man. They ended up with a motivated one. I'm not going anywhere. Accountability over entertainment. Another tweet. I appreciate Jeff Johns bringing, a, bringing on a crisis team to try to explain away his discriminatory behaviour, but his excuses are weak. If Jeff believed fans expected Superman's grandfather to look like a young Henry Cavill, why was he okay with the Zods not resembling Michael Shannon? Exactly what I just said earlier on. Why was he okay with that? Why are you okay for the Zods to be black, but not Superman's grandfather? <laughs> um, you know and here Kim Masters who wrote the article she says here Ray Fisher speaks Warners did not want me to write this story to put it very mildly that says it all and then Charisma Carpenter she quote tweets Ray Fisher saying I believe you Ray and know your motivations are a sincere effort to thwart abuse of power racism and enabling that exists on a systemic level in Hollywood Finally, the public can can get a better sense of your experience and a glimpse of your indisputable probity. And that is true because now people are starting to see and starting to really understand what fully went on behind the scenes of the Justice League reshoots. Why did they allow this to happen? Now, we're not saying that it's just Warners. Warners aren't the only ones that get away with stuff like this. Disney do it as well. We've seen Disney have done it as well. The only difference with Disney is that they are better at covering it up than Warners are. That's why everybody's exposing Warners right now because they don't have a way. They've got no way of covering it up whatsoever. Because if they did, they would, they would be silencing Ray right now. Ray has obviously has said so many times, if what he is saying isn't true, he welcomes Warner Media, Warner Brothers, Jeff Johns, John Berg, and Joss Whedon to sue him for libel. And guess what? None of them have. Not even Warner's themselves. A multi-billion dollar studio company of their size hasn't gone after Ray Fisher because they know he is telling the truth. That's why they are putting out all these hit pieces to try and smear him to no avail because people are starting to see it. People are starting, the fans, the general audience, people are now starting to see what Warner's have been doing. And like I say, it's not just Warner's. Other studios do the same they're just better at hiding it. You know, there's even a tweet here from a woman called Alicia Lutz. Um, she is somebody who has worked with, um, who has worked in um, 
in the industry and she's she's written a massive thread about her experience of what happened you know in terms of stuff that has gone on behind the scenes and how studios have been trying to put the lid on abusive behaviors i mean you only got to look at say harvey white harvey weinstein right there there's a prime example you know trying to cover up all his sexual allegations and everything and yet he's been found guilty he's been put behind bars and all that sort of stuff you know it is time for old hollywood to just die because i'm sorry it's just, and i'm not just talking about just the movie studios but any workplace you got all these workplaces where all these men in power, these white men in power, that say, this is how it is. Oh, sorry, somebody said this about you. Well, that's, that's just how it is. You'll either keep quiet or you lose your job. And we and we make you make sure that you don't get another job like this anywhere else. That's how they operate. That is how they do things. Makes, making sure that their credibility is, that their reputation stands hold that this holds true that they don't get a bad name about for, for you know against them or anything like that that they make the victims look like the bad person and i'm sorry but no that is not how it is now we are not going to allow that to happen we are not going to allow that to happen you, you jeff johns i think personally i do think jeff was put into a difficult position but at the same time he should have handled it better and in that article with Ray Fisher later on John Berg does actually come out and say that he felt bad of what went on with Ray you know he does feel bad um, and he you know I think he eventually does acknowledge that what happened on the set of the reshoots was appalling you know he says it here that Fisher then got a call from Berg who said he was sorry the actor had an appalling experience on Justice League and he hadn't been able to help. Acknowledging that a bunch of straight white men had been running things, he said he hoped the studio would improve on that in the future. Berg said he had spoken to the investigator at length and truthfully, I let him know that it did mean a lot, Fisher says. I'm not beyond forgiveness when it comes to this kind of stuff. It was a very, very big thing for, for Berg to do. No one else in the process has reached out at all. So Joss Whedon, Jeff Johns, Warner Brothers. The only person that has so far is John Berg. John Berg has actually gone to Fisher and apologised for the experience that he had on the reshoots of Justice League. And that John Berg wished that he had done better. That he had been able to help. That he had, should have done better. That whole talk about the Booyah scene maybe it was it was not john berg's place to say oh you know if you don't say it the son or daughter of the ceo of at&t will will not be happy that the character didn't say their signature line well none of the other characters say their signature line you don't hear superman saying um this looks like a job for superman you don't hear wonder woman saying great hera or hera give me strength you know you don't hear batman say to the batmobile let's go <laughs> None of those, they didn't have their, any of their corny, cheesy catchphrases, did they? No. So why enforce it on a black man? It's, you know, as a black person myself, there's, there's no way I'm going to be watching Cyborg on a big, big screen and thinking, why didn't he say the word booyah? You know, isn't that his, isn't that his line? No, I'm not going to think that. I am a black person. 
I want to see the character portrayed in the best way possible. And guess what? Zack Snyder's Justice League shows the way that the character is portrayed. He is the heart of the movie. He is not, should not be reduced to a one, a one phrase character. That's not who he is. That's if that's how he wants to be portrayed on the animated shows of Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. That's their that's their side of things. He has never said the word in the comics ever. The cyborg has never uttered the word booyah in the comics whatsoever. Marv Wolfman, when he created the character, him and George Perez, when they created the character, that wasn't what they were aiming for. It was all about his journey to becoming cyborg that he felt he was broken, that his father didn't have time for him. And the only way that he would make time for him is because he suddenly, you know, made him into the cyborg, turned him into something else. Basically, he felt like he created a monster. You know, but his dad wasn't always there for him when he was at college, going to football and stuff. He wasn't there for him. Losing his mother in a car accident that he blames himself for. So it's all about that pain and the experience. It's all about the disability as well. How disabled people will see themselves. You know, there's there's actually a video, excuse me, that Ray had posted on Twitter of him. No, well, was it Ray that posted it? Somebody else had posted a video of Ray meeting a disabled black kid. And it's, the kid was so shy. He would hide him behind his mother. He was like, oh my God, no, not Ray Fisher. I can't look at I can't. He can't see me like this, this, that, and the other. But he he just spoke to him. He was just very honest. He was open. That's, that's who Cyborg represents. That's why representation matters, people. You know, when you see that video of Ray Fisher talking to the black kid, the black disabled kid, you, it melts your heart. It just absolutely melts your heart. And that is why we say representation matters. Not because he has to say the word booyah. What kind of fucking nonsense is that? Who are you to say this is what you're supposed to say in the film? No. No, 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 I am sorry, that is not what you do at all. Anyway, I feel like I've gone on to this long enough, but following that article from Ray Fisher, Chris Terrio, the writer for um, both Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice and Justice League, has unleashed on, on, um, on Warner Brothers the Vanity Fair article, he did a Vanity Fair article and it basically is just titled Justice League screenwriter Chris Terrio is super pissed off. The Argo Oscar winner is tired of being hated by the haters and he despises what happened to his DC films too. He goes into rent mode as well. He does he, he does not hold his punches. He does not hold his punches. He even says it here. It says the 2017 theatrical cut was an act of vandalism. Zack may be too much of a gentleman to say that, but I'm not. And I tell you what, kudos to Chris. He has finally spoken out because he 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 couldn't say anything for a while, Chris. He could not say anything because he felt tarnished. Like his reputation reputation had been tarnished after what's ha what happened with Justice League in 2017. Um, it even says it here. It says that there's... Um, if you took 30 minutes out of Argo, as they were from Batman Superman, it would make zero sense at all. 
critics will say what a lazy screenplay because the characters don't have motivations and it's not coherent and I would agree with them even the title of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice was a disaster he said that pinned audiences to roll their eyes at the film well before its release Terry hoped Justice League would be a better experience he was very wrong he said after watching Just Whedon's version of the film Terry was so disgusted that he explored taking his name off the movie especially galling him with galling him Galling to him was the sidelining of Ray Fisher's tragic hero, Cyborg, whose arc the actor himself helped craft. So Chris Terrio saw Joss Whedon's version of Justice League and he was so disgusted that he wanted his name taken off the film. Towards the end of this article, it actually does say that he rang his lawyer to say, I want my name taken off this film. And the lawyer went and spoke to Warners to, to demand that his name be taken off. It just... He, now that he has spoken out, you can now understand his side of things as well. And he was not happy with what they did to Cyborg. He wasn't happy with it at all. Just was not happy with, the, with how Cyborg was treated. Like I said, he goes... Health, this article, Chris Terrio just goes all out he is not pulling any punches whatsoever not pulling his punches and there's even there's even one segment here where it says that did you have many interactions with the actors and Chris went on to say I wasn't invited to the set but obviously I know Ben and I got to know Ray Fisher we developed Cyborg together Ray came to my apartment in the East Village and he and I just would take long walks and talk about Cyborg and the responsibility of putting the first black DC superhero in a movie screen, in a movie on screen. That was a big responsibility that we both understood and took very seriously. Remember, this was before Black Panther. There obviously had been some big black, some, there obviously had been some black superheroes over the years, you know, Steel, um, Blade, and, you know, in, to, to name two, um, but none depicted with such a budget and such scale in such a mainstream way. Cyborg is the one character who can't disguise himself. He lives in his skin. His otherness is a constant fact of his life. And that to me, and Ray and I discussed this, speaks about being a black man in America. You cannot remove the otherness that people force upon you. And therefore Cyborg, when he becomes the hero that he always should have been and was meant to be, that felt like something really strong that we wanted the world to see. That right there is a prime example of a white person trying to understand life through the lens of a black person. That's how you do it. He acknowledges that there have been black superheroes over the years, but none depicted in such a budget and scale in a mainstream way as they did with Cyborg. And this was before Black Panther. Imagine if we had got Zack Snyder's Justice League the year before, a few months before Black Panther, because Black Panther came out in 2018, February 2018, Justice League came out in November. Can you imagine the high we would have been on going into Black Panther? Now, I'm not saying that Black Panther would not have made the money that it made purely on the back of Zack Snyder's Justice League with how Cyborg was portrayed. But what I'm saying is that the high that we would have went into to see Black Panther after watching Zack Snyder's Justice League and thinking, my God, did you see the way how Cyborg was portrayed in Zack Snyder's Justice League? What are we expecting for Black Panther? 
possibly something of the same, if not a bit more elevated. You know, we still would have been on such a high. As not just as comic book fans, but as DC fans as well. DC fans would have gone into Black Panther on a high, thinking, well, we've just seen a black man portrayed so well in a DC property. Let's see how Marvel do it. And we saw how Marvel do it. We saw how they did it. They brought in a black director to 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 do the film. You had the black cast all collaborating. Chadwick Boseman, may he rest in peace, helping out, collab collaborating, helping out, making sure everybody else was getting ready, was doing their thing. That's how it's done. And here we have Zack Snyder's Justice League. Here we have Chris Terrio, the writer of Justice League, talking about his experience. Why he, he, he speaks about his, his anger and about what he had to go through, what he was put through. Honestly, again, it's a long article. It's a very long article. So I urge you to read it. I really urge you to read it. And then on the back of that, Fabian Wagner, the director of photography, the cinematographer, sorry. I called him the director of photography earlier. I do apologize. The, cinema, the cinematographer who shot and fought for Zack Snyder's film. He was one of the early, one of the first members of the crew to publicly speak out against Joss Whedon's version of Justice League. He was the one who even helped release hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement. Because it says it here that the German DP lent early credence to the hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement's fervent belief that they'd been lied to, that the theatrical version was not Warner Brothers slash DC and Whedon carrying out Zack Snyder's vision after the director stepped away following a family tragedy. Wagner was one of the first to clearly and publicly state that Whedon rewrote and reshot most of the movie, throwing out 90% of the original material. It, even here, in summer of 2019, he said, if there is a Snyder Cut, I hope it's better than the one that is out now. Because he even added that he cried when he saw the theatrical version. Fabian Wagner, the cinematographer, who Zach credits so highly, I, and again, he, he has his interview here with uh, IndieWire. Um, so he, he goes into a question and answer routine with them as well. Speaks about, you know, um, the four-hour version. Speaks about the reshoots. Because he was on set elsewhere in a similar area of where they were doing the reshoots. Um, and he could see that they were doing a lot of reshoots. And he was thinking, oh, well, wait, what's going on? How's that going to work? This, that, and the other. How can you cut a four-hour movie down to two, two and a half hours? This, that, and the other. And all sorts and everything. Um, so, yeah, he, he speaks about his experience and everything like that as well. Um, and also the VFX shots and the lighting and other bits and pieces and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, oh, my God. So, we've heard from Ray Fisher. We've heard from Chris Terrio. We've now heard from Fabian Wagner. Who are we expecting to hear from next? I don't know. Could we hear from Jason Moore? Could we hear from Gal Gadot? Could we hear from Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill? Could we even hear from Jeremy Irons? Because remember how he was saying that, um, you know, we heard from about Jeremy Irons saying, you know, this is fucking stupid on set when doing the reshoots and everything and working with, with, um, with Joss Whedon as well. And that's also mentioned, I think, briefly in Ray Fisher's article as well with, uh, with, with THR um, as well. So... Phew, goodness me and that's the other thing on the back of Ray Fisher's article people are now coming out saying 
oh my god the people who have received emails from members of the crew saying this might be of interest to you we want you to let you know that this is what's happening on this on the reshoots stuff that went on back then is now true to this day that the stuff that they were emailed that was what was happening and it's all been confirmed from ray fisher's article that everything that was went that went on that joss did that joss said yeah it was all true it was all true so there you go i know this pod, this episode is getting on a bit long so i'm going to try and wrap it up as quickly as possible so do apologize if you have been listening um and i've been ranting on about this but um yeah it's it sickens me it really does sicken me that this is what's been going on behind the scenes like i say the difference between warners and the other studios is that warners have not been able to hide it very well um ray fisher was the one that brought it to light ray fisher has brought this to light you know it's just letting you know that this is what hollywood does this is what hollywood gets up to behind the scenes and it's time for it to be stamped out and stopped any work environment should not have this cut type of enabling going on this type of abuse should not be going on regardless of where what environment you work in regardless of what sector you're in nowhere should people be discriminated and abused to the point of where they are the ones being made to look like the bad guys victims should not be the ones made to look like the bad guys at all it's that simple you do not do that you do not do that at all so anyway yeah so chris terrio faber wagner um ray fisher they've all opened up now now we're just waiting to see what um what the others do um there's also actually a podcast that's been released it's called the rough cut um where they talk about Zack Snyder's justice league and um an editor by the name of David Brenner um, went on to say, um, where is it? So let me go and find the, um, yeah, here it is. So there's a tweet here that says, according to Dave, to editor David Brenner, Warner Brothers never screened Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League to any audiences back in 2017. They just assumed it wasn't funny enough based on executive screening and started interviewing writers who could inject humour. Now, why? If you are somebody who is trying to market a film of the of the scale and calibre of Zack Snyder's Justice League, you didn't screen it to audiences as a test to get their reaction instead you screen it to the executives and their reaction is oh it's not funny enough can we get some more can we interview some more writers to try and inject some humor into this that's your if that's your reaction you do not know how to do superhero movies warner brothers cannot be trusted with the dc comics label anymore they cannot be trusted whatsoever that's why it's time for DC Studios. And we have been saying this for quite some time now. In fact, Ray, Ray Smith of the Flightcast, I think, is the first one to have coined the term DC Studios. So hashtag DC Studios needs to be trending because that's what needs to happen. DC needs to have its own studios, much like Marvel Studios is separate to Disney. Yes, Disney owns Marvel Studios, but Disney gives them the money and says, here you go, go and make some movies. That's what DC Studios needs to be. It needs to be a separate entity. We're not saying that Disney needs to buy Warners, Netflix needs to buy, um, Disney needs to buy DC, or Netflix needs to buy DC. No, that's not what we're saying. 
they, they wouldn't even sell it anyway. Warners would not get rid of DC in that sense. They wouldn't sell it. So what AT&T needs to do is basically say to Warner Brothers, you are no longer going to be in charge. We're going to make DC Studios a separate entity. We'll pump them full of money. They can go and do their creative stuff because you can no longer be trusted with this property. This is Warner's biggest intellectual property and they are not utilising it to the way that they should be. They are not utilising it to the, in the manner that they're supposed to be. So DC Studios needs to be its own thing. It is time for DC Studios. It's that simple. No ifs or buts about it. It is time. Anyway, moving further on. So I've got to quickly finish off. Um, we've got a new cast joining Supergirl as a series regular, Peter Sargent. Um, yeah, so that's so she's joined Supergirl um, for the final season. She's going to be playing a character called Nixley, described as a quirky and kind fifth dimensional imp wrongly imprisoned in the Phantom Zone and driven by tragic backstory. So if you've watched the latest uh, episode of Supergirl, you'll know that she's trapped in the Phantom Zone, thanks to Lex Luthor. Um, and she's trying to escape with her father, Zorel. el um, So we are trying to find out how they're going to escape. And it sounds like this Nixley may be, I don't know, maybe she's going to help. In some kind, in some way, maybe she'll also escape the Phantom Zone alongside Kara and maybe Zorel will come out, we don't know. Um, but yeah, it says here that she helps Kara when she least expects it and their budding friendship um, not only heals some of Nixley's emotional pain but helps Nixley reclaim her own power. So there we go. That's season season six. Um, what else have we got? Uh Yes, so Robin Lively is set to play Sarah Bellum and Tom Kenny is going to reprise his role as the narrator for the CW live action show um, Powerpuff Girls, which has started filming. We've seen some set pictures released as well with the three main actress actors in their in their outfits as the, as the characters that they are playing. Um, Army of the Dead, um, Zack Snyder released a tweet um, to get people to... Um, do some sort of um, mission. Um, he says, I'm forming a new team for a dangerous mission, but I must warn you, the last crew didn't make it. Get ready, crack the codes, find the hidden URL and be one of the lucky few to join the Army of the Dead trailer preview event. Limited spots. And he posted a Twitch link um, to Netflix, Netflix's Twitch pro, uh, channel, I would imagine. And then not long after that, um, the team cracked it. It says, mission accomplished team, you've cracked the code, get ready for the trailer drop on Tuesday. And before that, he released a, f a new poster, Army of the Dead with a skull hand with some bling on and holding a King um, King of Hearts um, card that says always bet on dead. The king himself looks like a looks like a zombie as well. Um, it's great. Story by Zack Snyder, screenplay by Zack Snyder and Shay Hatton and Jet and Joby Harold, directed by Snyder by Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder film, Army of the Dead. It's all things Zack Snyder's great. Um, so yeah, so the trailer for Army of the Dead is coming out on Tuesday. It's the new trailer. And obviously as I say the film itself comes out on May twenty first, which is my forty first birthday. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> but yeah, so there we go. Um, that's everything, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening. I know this episode went on a little longer than I, than, than intended, but you know the Ray Fisher piece, the Chris Terrio piece, the Fabian Wagner piece, all three of them now coming out against Warner Brothers and their treatments for Justice League, the reshoots, and Joss Whedon 
Warner Brothers as a whole. Um, so it's good to hear from those three. Now that it's out there, hopefully we should, we should see some form of, I don't know, actions being taken, house being cleaned at Warner Brothers, Antonov, Walter Hamada, Toby Emmerich. I don't know what's going to happen with them, but they are definitely not fit to be in that, in their in their roles. Um, we need we need new people. We need people who understand DC. We need producers who love DC characters. We need producers who understand DC characters. We need filmmakers who have a creative mind, who know what they want to give the fans and audience in terms of the story and the creativity for DC as a whole. Um, yeah, we need that. That's what we need. We need DC Studios. It's basically what we need. That is all we need. We don't necessarily need a Kevin Feige. We just need DC Studios. That's what we need. So it's time for DC Studios. Anyway, thank you all very much for listening. Enjoy, enjoy your week. Remember, stay safe, stay humble, stay kind. And as always, be kind as well to yourself and to everybody around you. Thank you all very much. And I'll see you all very soon. Goodbye.